Yep. Uh, we're going to try this again. Um, we finally reached my favorite part of podcasting where my wife is in another room doing the same thing I'm doing while I'm doing this. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, dual podcasting, but not recording on the same podcast. If you want to listen to me drone on, um, go grab yourself something to drink or, you know, fast forward through the song I play. It's just some music. Anyway, I'm going to be doing the whole episode. Um, got a stuff I want to talk about. It's been a week. Here's the music. Um, yeah, now is when it's going to just play it. Just play it. All right, now that I got myself fixed. Um, so another week of recording without the fancy microphone. But I do like the quality of this microphone. So... Plus, I get to use the desk um, anchor. The app that I'm recording on is anchor, but no, I anyway, I have this cool extension arm for it. It's like a boom mic. It's actually really cool. Um, it's a setup I've always wanted. And I talked about it in one of my last, well, my last, it was like a long time ago podcast. Anyway, hi, um, <laughs> it's me. Uh, welcome to another episode of this podcast um <laughs> i yeah i'm recording this a little earlier than normal usually i'm up at like three or four o'clock in the morning and waiting on loads of laundry to finish or just trying to kill time and uh tonight i decided that since my wife as i said in the intro before i got into the fight with the sound guy which also happens to be me i'm fighting with myself haha <laughs> that's funny um my wife is in another part of the apartment currently recording her own podcast as we have learned that this is a much easier medium for both of us. Um, she is absolutely gorgeous, but she is absolutely not willing to put in the effort to edit videos right now. So I was trying to explain to her how there's video podcasting available and all that. And she's like, no, I think I'm just going to go tell my stories on a podcast. So there will definitely be a link to her show in this podcast and every podcast moving forward because I always want to, you know, we have stories to talk about. We have stuff to things to say, things to say. Um, so on that note, what is, what are we talking about tonight? Um, unlike previous podcasts, I, I haven't pulled up any notes um, in the last few shows, I've been able to have like an overarching theme that I was headed for, but uh, today I am gonna, I don't know, I've been, I've been thinking hard, like what can I do, what can I talk about? Um, I know my last podcast was talking about finances, and I've been talking a lot about current events, even though by the time you listen to these, they, they're still current, but you know, they're not happening that week in most cases and um i just i wanted to have a week where i would just kind of let things happen organically um i i've been pretty good 
I'm, I am pretty good. I feel like personally, I'm pretty good about um, queuing up my conversations and trying to have a direction because I don't want you guys to just listen to me ramble like I'm doing now. But I, there's a lot. And sometimes it's trying to unpack it for my brain that happens during the middle of me producing these. And I do kind of like a stream of consciousness thing where I talk with very little preparation. Most often like how I interact with people in the real world, um, which makes it kind of weird and painful because people will just walk up and jam a phone in my face and expect me to help them. So yeah, I'll, I'll think of something, but, uh, before I think of something, there's something I want to talk about and then I will come back with whatever it is that I've thought of. All right. So now that I got that, uh, paid advertisement out of the way, I am inspired by my wife. Um, she has been laying out a lot of her personal problems on her podcast she's been talking about things that have happened in her life and i feel like there is a big gap in my life that i don't talk about much and that started in 2011 In 2011, I met a woman I'm going to refer to as Michelle. That is not her real first name. But it makes the story easier if I just refer to her as Michelle. Uh, Michelle and I started talking through a website that was, I don't know, fairly popular at the time called My Yearbook. Um, we met just talking normal conversation nothing too crazy i was living with family at the time and had just turned maybe 29 yeah i'm trying to do math on the fly and um i was looking to date but you know i, I was living with family i mean i'm going to be honest with you that was a pretty low point in life I didn't really have anything to offer the world. I didn't have any like finances, anything to contribute to society. And I didn't really view myself as someone worth talking to, but I still put myself out there because, you know, one of the things I've learned in life is you have to try. You got to at least like, you know, put yourself out there sometimes, even if you don't feel like you're at your best, you have to try. You have to. You, it's not a good day. Your feet hit the floor and you're like, eh, there are going to be some days where you're like, you know what? Let me just uh, call it a work, call it a school, cancel my whatever it is, appointments that I'm going to do. And I'll try again tomorrow. But those days shouldn't be every day. When those days start to become every day, there's another problem. And that's something that needs to be resolved. We'll get to depression in another podcast. <laughs> Tonight's podcast is not going to be about depression. Although, I'm sorry, because this is depressing. So Michelle and I start talking, and um, everything's great. You know, um, she really wants to talk to me a lot, and I'm very apprehensive because, again, online meeting, not so much. So we start 
I believe we started using Google Voice, or at least I started using Google Voice because my cell phone, uh, I had no service where I was living, basically. So she started calling, and we started talking, and I remember doing a few video calls, and it was an actual woman, and it was a woman with a kid, which, again, you're 28 or 29, that's inevitable, but the woman with the kid part wasn't the problem. It was a woman, and that wasn't the problem either. There wasn't no problem. It's just I wasn't feeling so confident. So I was one of those stereotypical online daters that wanted to talk for a while. And I mean, if we started talking in May, which I feel like that's pretty accurate, I probably didn't actually meet her intentionally for the first time until almost July or August. And the reason I say intentionally is because I know for a fact that she was at a baseball game with her, what I would find out to be would be her dad and her son, um, not too long after we first met. And I kind of bumped into her, and I don't really remember saying hi. But then again, I might have said hi. This is an 11-year-old story now. Um, wow, I got to work on that, too. Get rid of my ums and uhs. <laughs> um, uh, we met... Our first date was, God, I don't even remember. I'm not going to lie. I definitely remember the first time I met her son, though. Her son, also not using his real name here, Mike. Um, Mike was five when I first met him. So he was still pretty young and pretty impressionable. And uh, you could tell that mom... Michelle hadn't really taken him out to too many different dates, which is a good thing, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not good to, you know, constantly expose your son to different boyfriends. Um, but it's okay, you know, like it happens. But we went on and um I remember the first time we met at it was at a Goodwill in Augusta and we walked around for a little while and looked at some books and looked at some thrift store stuff as you do in a Goodwill. But it was really just a kind of like meet in person, see how things worked. And I remember being very enamored with her because it wouldn't have been enamored with a woman you'd been talking to online for the better part of two months who hadn't been like, you know what, this isn't going to work out. She was persistent and, and we spoke a lot. And then things move pretty quick. I mean, not that quick, don't get me wrong, but they move pretty quick. Um, I remember it's, yeah, it's just funny because it's only eleven. <laughs> it's now we're getting closer to now, so it's maybe ten years. Uh I remember going on quite a few dates after that. Sun wasn't there. You know, we would go out to see each other. Um, I would drive down to her house and I would um, spend time at her place, um, which coincidentally, she also lived with her parents. So I'm 99.9% .9 sure that's why the me living at home with family thing wasn't so bad for her. But we hit it off uh, mentally and physically and... Um, the L word was being tossed around and 
I remember by the middle of 2012, basically about a year later, um, I was leaving to move in to my mom's or my mom's place. Wow. I was leaving to move in with her at her parents' house. And that was an abject disaster. Um, her parents are nice enough. Michelle's parents were incredibly gracious, but they were troubled in their own ways. And, you know, having some boyfriend move in with your daughter who's already got a kid, I'm sure is incredibly stressful and doubly stressful at that time because when I moved in, I didn't exactly have a job. I actually just got laid off from a grocery store job when they closed up all the food lions in Florida. Um, one of my stores, store I worked at in Georgia was actually one of the few in Georgia that got wrapped up as well. It was an underperforming store. So they offered me a position at another store doing the exact same thing. And I was pretty good. I was going to enjoy my unemployment slash um, the little bit of money they were going to give me as a payout because, again, they were giving everybody a little bit of money as a thank you. And I think it was maybe $300. I hadn't been there for more than six months, so I wasn't expecting much. But I also knew for a fact I definitely did not want to continue doing this job. So I left. And uh, when I left that job, I went looking for more jobs. But of course, nobody was hiring because 2011 was just a few years after President Obama took office and the economy just kind of flatlined. And wow, history repeats itself 10 years later. I went and moved in with Michelle anyway. And everything was okay. For the first day or two, I was... Um, struggling to figure out what I was going to do. Uh, Michelle lived quite a ways further away from town than I did, even though you can make an argument that where I was staying was equally as far away from town. But we were also going to be sharing a car, which made things a little bit more complicated. I was applying at anywhere I could, and actually, ironically or unironically enough, there was actually a food line around the corner from where she lived, as well as a Subway sandwich shop, which I had worked at about 10 years prior. <laughs> and there were quite a few things for me to try to do, but nothing would stick. And it was while I was home, um, in between filling out applications, I had moved my video game system in and um, Michelle was at work and her parents were up as they were retired and that's what they did and they offered to feed me which was incredibly nice of them because you know I was surviving on chips basically or whatever we could sneak in and by sneak in I mean they didn't care that I had food in there but I wasn't about to go out and like clean their fridge and eat all of their leftovers and her parents were always incredibly nice to me, but her mom was very interesting. Um, you could see where Michelle got it from, which will be important later. So I, they, they came back and they asked, hey, have you eaten yet? And I said, no. And they said, well, we made some burgers. Are you interested? And I said, sure, you know, I'll come eat. Can't hurt. I haven't had anything today. 
I've been, you know, busy online looking at jobs to apply for, which was entirely true. I mean, I spent a long time filling out applications for jobs that I knew I was either underqualified for or overqualified for. I'm just a kid with a high school degree and retail experience. Like, let's be real. There's a lot of jobs out there for me, but not every job is for me, you know? So I came out and I sat down and took a bite out of the burger and realized that I wasn't eating beef at that moment. But, you know, there's a chance. I was like, maybe, maybe they're just, maybe they just seasoned it different. And second bite in, no, this is definitely not beef. And remember they asked if I wanted to have a burger. This is important because when they told me I was actually eating venison, which if you've never heard of that before, that's deer meat, uh, that they mixed the venison in with the beef, that I was like, oh, that's great. And I struggled to finish the rest of the burger and um, thank them for their hospitality and then made a decision that I needed to leave. So I needed to find a way out. Um there was there were no other options at that point. I had left my uncle's place. That's where I was staying with family at the time. And I needed to get away from her parents. And and Michelle was not in a place to want to move out at that time. So we had talked about that extensively, exhaustively, um, one night staying up until, you know, almost till when she needed to absolutely be asleep to be at work the next day. So we're talking like one or two o'clock in the morning. And uh, finally, I had had enough. I just was like, look, I can't find a job this far away. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea how to do anything. I've been here for too long. I need to go. And so I asked for help. And I was told that I was just stuck where I was and that I made a decision I had to live with it. And that it was no one else's problem but my own that this happened. And... I uh, cannot express to you in accurate terms how terrified I was of staying with Michelle's parents and to some extent staying with Michelle, but staying with her parents was not a thing that needed to be done anymore. And so I called my mom like any 29-year-old would do. And I said, hey, I am really struggling here. Can you help me? And my mom, being my mom, let me come stay on her couch. And I had a family member threaten to have me arrested for trespassing. And we get past that. Um, we'll never really be past that, just so we're clear. That was 11 years ago. And uh, we'll never really be past that. So it's cool. Don't, don't worry. I've made my peace with it, as I'm sure you can hear in my voice. 
Um, but I moved in with her and our Michelle and I's relationship continued. I was able to find a job at a tax office which was a seasonal job, but I unfortunately caught pneumonia and got really sick. And I was let go from my seasonal job because I'd missed too much work. I needed a week off to recuperate. I was actually at a place where I was coughing up blood, and this was prior to leaving. Um, oh, no, this wasn't prior to. This was after leaving Michelle's. But I was spending the night at Michelle's one night and I actually had coughed up blood. So we went to the emergency room on her advice and my mom's advice. I remember crying in the car because I had no health insurance. I had no way to pay for anything. I remember my mom buying me Advair, uh, which was $125 to um, help rebuild the strength of my lungs because that was the only inhaled steroid that they could give me that they recommended based on what was going on in my life at the time. And um, the co-payment on the hospital visit, I don't ever, I, I mean, I know I probably still owe the hospital money, but I haven't seen that hospital bill in a while. So I'm assuming it's gone away. I'm sure if I pull up credit report, I'll find it. But anyway, that was during a period in my life when I had no, uh, I had no safety net except my mom, who was there to help me at 29 years old. So I healed back from pneumonia pretty quick, and I found another job. I was working part-time at Lowe's, um, but Lowe's was a little bit of a struggle because Lowe's only wanted me to be working there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and refused to give me the schedule until, like, the Tuesday before I was supposed to be at work that week. So... I worked there for just a little over three months. I don't think I quite made it all the way through three months, but I want to say it was at around the three-month mark. And I clocked out and cleared out my locker and told them I wouldn't be back. And that was it. I told them I quit. And I kind of gave up on that. And Michelle was still there with me, um, which was nice. And then I found a job. Oh, yeah, well, there's more to that story. Oh. <laughs> I'm leaving out bits and pieces. I met Michelle. Yeah, I'm way off here. I met Michelle when I was working at Food Lion. And I should probably recap things accurately so um this was when blockbuster video was falling and they were falling hard uh, they were closing two locations in my area and i'm trying to remember because i feel like one of the locations i think of as a blockbuster was actually a hollywood video but in any event uh they were they were collapsing around us in georgia and when I left, the money that I said I got from Food Lion, I actually went to Blockbuster and bought a whole bunch of video games with that. Now, see, I'm 29. I'm staying with family. And she was 28 and staying with her family. 
but she thought it was really weird and frustratingly weird for me to want to spend the money that I got from Voo Lion, like the additional money they gave me on some video games. I figured I was going to need to stay home and the money that I had coming to me from unemployment at the time was going to help me put gas in the car for my inevitable interviews and things like that. Because again, I'm living at home. Like I'm really only going to need money for gas. And at the time I won't lie, I needed money for cigarettes because I was smoking when I first met her. Um, so that was really all I needed cash for. I didn't have any bills to pay. And the only thing I agreed that I would pay for when I was driving the car was that I would keep gas in it. So I put my own gas in it. But this was a this was a problem for Michelle. She did not want me spending money. Now, there could be a discussion here about what she wanted me to spend the money on, which she thought it would be a good idea to save it. And in her defense, that, that was a wonderful idea. But it wasn't what I wanted to do with it. And after all, it was my money. And we weren't seriously discussing moving in together. As I stated prior to this, this was before I moved in with her. She had no interest in me. Um, not just not moving in with her, but she had no interest in us moving in together anywhere. Um, so I was going to make myself comfortable. I do this thing when, when bad times are about to happen, where I try to build myself an entertainment nest. Because I know that bad things are coming and I'd rather be comfortable where I am than have to panic about you know, what am I going to do for fun or what do I do when I get bored? Because there should be no time as bored. I mean, honestly, there's always stuff to clean in this place. So if something like that were to happen to me now, I mean, I have tons of video games. We have internet. As long as I could afford the basics, we'd be fine. But if I needed to start cutting off streaming services, I genuinely have a backlog of video games and I have books that I don't know that I would ever finish reading and I'm learning how to crochet now. But anyway, uh, on, on topic, on to the story. So I, um, in this, in this part of the story, I had left Lowe's. I went and met her for lunch the same day I quit. I met her for lunch. She came over. There was a pizza place right next door. And I remember sitting there and just telling her, I was just so frustrated so exhausted with working there and I remember her saying well you know you just you gotta you gotta make it through another shift you know we all have to do things we don't like and you gotta go through another shift you just have to do it and I remember how upset that made me because I will be the first in line to look you in the face when you're upset with a job and tell you leave. Like, yeah, you should make plans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You should always have a plan B when you leave. But sometimes that plan B is just leaving, getting in the car and driving away. 
you don't need these places. Um, work is just work. It's not where your life is. And yeah, you could spend up to 40 hours a week there, but that's, it's just work. You know what I mean? They, if you died tomorrow and you work in retail, they'll replace you in a week. And if you died tomorrow and you're a doctor or you work in a bigger job than that, they'll replace you in a month. I don't think for a second that you're irreplaceable. They will find your replacement and in a lot faster, a lot shorter amount of time than you might even think possible. And I'm just giving you conservative estimates. I mean, how in retail, they'll probably have you replaced before the end of the week. They'll have your job posted online with a new hiring raise and a hiring rate, and they'll just fill it with another poor soulless person <laughs> needs money too. But that's the point. So when I went back from lunch, I, I don't really remember, you know, exactly how it went down, but I do remember walking because I didn't have the car that day. I do remember walking back to my mom's place, which was, we'll just estimate like within four miles away. It wasn't that far. And I walk two miles to work and back. So I walk four miles a day now, some days. The four miles was nothing. I don't, I never mind walking. It's not that big of a deal. There's no sidewalks in this part of Georgia, but that's not the point. I just remember when I went and cleared up my locker at Lowe's, and I turned in my vest or whatever it was badge and vest or something. I turned it in and I was just like, yeah, this job's not for me. I'm not coming back. I just remember walking through that parking lot and feeling a weight left off my shoulders. And if you ever are in a position like that with a job or even with a relationship and you find the strength to leave and someone criticizes you for leaving, they don't know. You can try to explain it to them, but they don't want to hear it because they're happy with their delusion. They're happy with, you know, staying in the matrix, if you will. And they don't want to have that happen to them. So they're not going to um, worry about it. However, for you, the person listening to this magical podcast you do what's best for you and don't worry about what anyone else has to say because you're the only one that's ever going to really know how things should work or how you should handle your life situation so you can't possibly expect other people to know what's best for you on that note so when i leave i um when i leave i have uh, a genius idea as one does at the age of 29 when they're quitting a job that they should go drink and I had already been to the, the pizza place that day. So I went down to um, Red Robin, which is a burger place I used to work at, <laughs> which is only ironic because I worked there for, again, maybe like two weeks. But that was a few years prior to the story. And I have been at 
in the last eight years, I've only worked at three places. I've had three separate jobs and two of those jobs lasted for more than four years. So I'm pretty comfortable where I am and I will explain the job hopping in another podcast. But um, I went down to Red Robin and I sat at the bar and I had a very nice bartender wait on me and I ended up leaving my debit card behind. But I had a few beers and that was another source of contention. I think I have my mom coming at me. I honestly don't remember, but I do remember leaving Target. Oh, yeah. Actually, I do. I remember a little bit more about this story. So I do remember I was feeling pretty good. I wouldn't say I was like drunk, drunk, but I had had two or three beers and I had eaten like the smallest burger they had there. So, you know, beer hit me pretty good. And I remember walking over to the Target. And when I walked inside, I like, you know, got myself a couple of waters and maybe a bag of chips or something like that. And how I realized I forgot my debit card over there was I went to pay and didn't have any money. So I had to walk back over to Red Robin and get my debit card, which luckily the bartender was like, yeah, I thought it was kind of weird that you left it. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, hope you didn't take an extra dip. Uh, had a good laugh and walked back over and got my water and started walking home. I don't think I ended up calling my mom. I think I remember my mom asking me if everything was okay because I was supposed to have been off work or something like that. I think I worked, it was like an 11 to seven shift or something that day. And it was clearly after seven o'clock. I told her I was just walking home and then she drove down because I was walking a lot less. She drove meet me. And uh, I told her that I couldn't do the job anymore. And she asked if I was okay. And, you know, the standard, you know, you should always have a plan before you leave. And I ended up applying at uh, Ruby Tuesdays not too long after that. They were hiring me as a dishwasher and a salad bar attendant. And right as I applied at Ruby Tuesdays, I had also applied at Starbucks. And uh, to be fair, I wanted to work at Starbucks more than I wanted to work at Ruby Tuesdays. Like, I, I don't, I may not know anything about coffee, but I worked in kitchens when I was 18. I worked at uh, Friendly's and um, I worked at McDonald's and I, I've done the kitchen thing. And I, I got hired and I started working there and it wasn't a horrible job. They just asked you to do a lot. That's all. And. Michelle was not very happy that I was jumping from job to job to job. But again, we weren't living together. We were just dating at the time. So it's not really like she was contingent on the money I was bringing in for anything, pay rent or anything. Because again, she was still living with her parents. And I worked through Mother's Day at Ruby Tuesdays. And... I remember being miserable because it was busy 
and the salad bar needed to be attended to and the dishes needed to be cleaned up and they also had me doing prep which made no sense to me whatsoever because I'm just a salad bar attendant you think they'd only want me like reloading the salad bar not like actually handling the food preparation but there I was and uh yeah so uh, that job was garbage and quit there when I got the interview for Starbucks. I actually got the interview for Starbucks the day before I quit. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go on this interview and put all my eggs in one basket. And I walked in there wearing a suit and I impressed my manager and I got the job at Starbucks. And that starts the rescue part of the story. So I've been with Michelle in this part of the story now for probably a year, maybe two years at this point in. And uh, we were finally getting to a place where she wanted to move into an apartment. So I talked about moving in with her a lot. And Michelle and I went apartment hunting. And I think we looked at two or three different places before we settled on one that was pretty central to where we were in Augusta and that, you know, she could get back on an expressway to go right back to work. And then I was going to work later and I had been working at Starbucks at this point in the story now for over a year because I'm pretty sure we moved in there and it was August or September when we moved into the apartment complex that we did. And um, I remember when we went back to her parents' house to, like, you know, help her move out because she had a room. She had basically two bedrooms full of stuff. It was her stuff and, and Mike's stuff that needed to be moved. And Michelle's mom was going through a storage unit that they had purchased to house all of this extra stuff. And it was just, a, I mean, they had a house, but it was just a tiny, you know, like, if you think of something you could just put your lawnmower in that had like a little ramp, it, the whole thing couldn't have been more than like three feet by six feet at most. It was a tiny little outdoor shed. But anyway, it had been sitting in the shed and we were going through it. And Michelle's mom had said something to the effect of one of her favorite phrases was a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And I just was like, look, we don't need to keep all of this stuff. If Michelle wants to get rid of it, she should get rid of it. You're asking her to hoard things just because what? She might need them. I'm not saying we won't need pots and pans, but she already had a substantial amount of it saved. Why save all of it if she wasn't going to use all of it? And that was just a bridge too far, you know, how dare I question her? And she got frustrated, frustrated, <laughs> make fun of Mel all the time for saying frustrated. It's frustrated. She got frustrated. Michelle's mom walked off and Michelle was like, you know, thank you, but you didn't have to. And I was just like, no, it's, it's a trait. Your mom exhibit, exhibit some hoarding behavior. I mean, the house is basically a place for them to hoard stuff. There's not really space to enjoy things. I remember uh, when I went over 
one weekend and I was visiting. Um, Mike was playing somewhere, doing something. And I remember Michelle's mom was basically not like throwing an actual fit, but, you know, like right at the borderline of a fit where she was just fussing because there was an empty space somewhere. And I remember Michelle saying, yeah, because we're getting rid of that thing. Like Mike never plays with that. And Michelle's mom was like, yeah, but now there's an empty space. Like, what am I going to put there? And I just remember just staring at her for a minute and just, what kind of logic is it to every space in your house needs to be occupied by a thing? It, that's not at all how this works. Like, if you have empty space, that's empty space. That That's what it's there for. It's doing its purpose. It's to be empty. Put a piece of artwork up, I guess. Or, you know, like... Buy a floor light. Uh, if you want to do that, make the room brighter. Like Buy something functional. Why does it need to be another useless toy or a useless thing that Mike's not even going to look at or touch? But again, what would I have known? I wasn't his father at that time. And that was something that was reminded of me many times that I wasn't his father. I tried. I, I really did. I tried as hard as I could, but at every turn it was, well, you're, he's not your son. Or, well, after all, you know, his dad, hey, Mike's actual dad wasn't in the picture because Michelle told him that if he wanted to be in the picture, he needed to pay to see him. Now, I'm going to explain to you why that's bad in a moment. However, I will remind you of my own situation in growing up in where my father never paid what was owed of him. However, my mother never told him he could not see us. That was a choice he made on his own. Back to the story. So if Mike's real dad couldn't see him, then I was obviously the next logical, like I was going to try to step in. I mean, I was with his mom and, you know, we'd been together for a couple of years at this point. So... I didn't see any reason not to try at least to be something to this, to this guy. I mean, he, he deserves to have a parental figure in his life. And so I tried, I tried to step in and I did all I could do. It wasn't enough though. We, uh, finally did move out together and and I convinced Michelle to let me borrow some money so that I could have a car and I promptly got from her um, I was I want to say it was $1,200 $1,300 loan and I was able to find on post at the time because we lived outside of Fort Gordon a pretty wrecked uh, 1996, 95 Honda Civic four-door. It was amazing, except that the right side looked like it had been involved in a T-bone accident 
but the car still drove. The engine was still good. It just needed a lot more work than the $1,000, but you could tell that the um, soldier I was buying it from was selling it because he needed money to help buy his daughter a new car. She was pizza delivery driver, and they were really nice. They took me to the JAG office to sign off on the title, which they were originally from, or they had just been stationed in North Carolina where the cars had been registered. And anyway, short version of that story is, so we end up bringing it to um, get it titled, get it registered, get it insured. It's my car. I'm driving it. Everything's great. It's not in the best shape it's not the best car but hey it's the car that she helped me buy and then i'm gonna pay her back and uh things are pretty bad at this point in our story because i had had enough interactions with this woman to take out one minor piece of insurance my minor piece of insurance that i took out was that i put her cell phone on my plan. Now you may ask if this is a story about narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder, why is that detail important? Well, that detail will become important toward the end of the story. So we are living together. And Michelle and I are doing okay. Uh, we're adjusting to our new lives together, which is pretty much her and I just working opposite schedules. Um, Mike is still going to school near her mom and dad. So she's waking up every morning and taking him to school um, rather than waking up every morning and going to work we'll get there and it's important for me to know that when I say waking up every morning and taking Mike to school I mean her job is less than three minutes away from her parents house so at this point in the story she's waking up an hour before she needs to be at work so that she can well not an hour but you she's leaving the house more than an hour before she needs to be at work so that she can take Mike to her parents' house and have him ride the bus to school. And then after school, she has Mike go back to her parents' house so that they can continue watching Mike. Meanwhile, we're moved in together and um, I have changed my availability at work so that I only work uh, at night and I only start my shifts most of the time around five or six o'clock so that I can help. And this lasts for most of the entire first year that we're there together. And then by the summertime, she finally realizes that it's a good idea to go ahead and enroll him in school closer, which it's the same county, just a different school. So over that summer, we go on a vacation and our vacation involves going to Atlanta as I had told her that one of my dreams was to go to Disney again by myself as an adult 
and that I'd only ever been twice before. Once was when I was five with my uncle, and then again when I was 13 with my uncle, which involves a very interesting story surrounding the phrase sucks to be you and getting thrown off of a couch. Another story for another podcast, but that I had decided that I wanted to go to Disney, and so her compromise was that we were going to go to Atlanta. And we went to Atlanta, and we went to the Georgia Aquarium, and uh, we went to the Coca-Cola Museum. And full disclosure, some of these things may be out of order, because I am listening to two cats clucking like a chicken as they attack each other. But I like to call this settling their cat differences. No actual cats are being hurt during the making of this episode. Um, But we went, and we experienced Atlanta. We rode the, um, I was going to call it the Orlando Eye because I'm here in Orlando now. We have one here, but it was called the Atlanta Eye at the time. It was just giant Ferris wheel. Some of them had glass bottoms, and I have a slight fear of heights, which Michael thought, Mike thought was hilarious. But again, it was just a kid. And he was supposed to be able to just be a kid. Um, But he had his own set of issues. Uh, One of them was that he was not eating. And he was a very picky eater. And rather than grandma catering to him, grandma told me a story one time how she shoved a piece of chicken in his mouth and held her hand over his mouth until he swallowed it. And I grew up with a picky eater. I mean, he was so bad at one point. I remember him telling either my mom or my aunt that he liked carrots. And so they cooked carrots for him one time. And then he said, I don't like them this way. I like them the other way. And then the next time they cooked them the other way. And then he would say, I don't like them this way. I like them the other way. And... He just, he wanted, I used to joke, and it was a serious thing. He wanted to eat cheese, pizza, and cheese pizza. And that's it. That's all he wanted to eat when we were younger. So when my dad would come up before he moved away from us, and he would take us out for dinner, I remember my sister being so angry. because all we would ever go get at one point, week after week after week, we would usually see him on Thursday nights. Week after week after week after week, we would just go get pizza because that's all my brother would eat. We'd even stopped eating Taco Bell at that point because, as I would find out years later, according to my brother, they put too much meat on the tacos, and that was just too much for his brain to handle. And I don't mean to make fun of somebody's eating habits, but, like, seriously, if you meet this guy in real life, he is at least 6'4". He's a solid 250, 280-pound dude. Like, he is a wall. And if I told you that he... Even still, to this day, still has some trouble with what he eats. But it's more texture issue. I mean, Mel has the same problem. But his texture issues literally cause him to be food avoidant. Like, he will avoid food at all costs. If he knows, if it doesn't even look like it's going to be good, if the texture looks like it's going to be weird, he's like, nope, I'm not down with that. Thank you so much. I want you to bite into a chicken tender and show me the inside of that chicken nugget first. If it's meat. If it's actual meat of a chicken, no. But if it's been chopped up and processed, we can talk. Anyway, 
Mike was having trouble with eating. And after the story with his grandma, Michelle's mom, who I, at this point, had already just not really been very fond of, after she told me that, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, and then what can I do to make sure that Mike isn't there? Because it's very obvious that Grandma does not have Mike's best interests at heart. Grandma has her best interests at heart, and that's fine. Grandma can have her best interests at heart, but it doesn't need to come at the expense of her grandson. So we uh, got Mike to switch schools, and then we took Mike to a doctor's appointment. Because Michelle insisted that if all Mike wanted to eat for dinner was bread, then that's all Mike should have to eat for dinner was bread. And I insisted that that's not how this is going to work, that Mike needs to eat more than bread for dinner, especially if if it's on a Tuesday and Mike eats a couple slices of bread and calls that dinner. OK, you know, like I occasionally have a bowl of ice cream for breakfast and call that breakfast. You know what I mean? Like it's balance, right? So the trick is I don't have a bowl of ice cream every morning and consider that breakfast. He was in like, you know, day number 28 of just eating bread for dinner. And I'm like, yeah, see, there's not that many vitamins, and minerals and bread. And it's not like he's drinking milk to supplement it. He's not eating peanut butter on the bread. I mean, the kid would literally grab an entire loaf of bread and just start eating an entire loaf of bread. Nothing on it. That's a problem. And everyone else in the family is just like, oh, this is normal. So, of course, what happens? We go to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician comes in and, you know, he does his normal checkup and Mike's really chill. It's nothing to really be worried about. He's seen the pediatrician before. He knows this guy. So I just happen to say, hey, Mr. Dr. Pediatrician guy, um, what would you say to a parent who, after you've just told her that her child is underweight for his height, what would you say to the same parent that would maybe tell you that the reason he's underweight is because all he wants to do is eat bread for dinner multiple nights in a row? And I mean, I haven't been around a lot of physicians in my life, but if you could have seen the very bewildered and almost puzzled look come on his face as in like, well, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, if I told you that Mike over here comes home sometimes and all he wants to eat is bread and mom's okay with that, he'll eat half a loaf of bread and mom will consider that dinner. And he goes, that's not a thing at all. That actually is probably a good reason why he's contributing to the problems that he's having. When we left that appointment, you would have thought that I just run Michelle through with a needle, like in her eye, the way she was reacting. Why would I ask that? Oh, it doesn't mean you're right. It, it, how I raise my son is no business of yours. He's not your son. You're just here. And it's just this on and on and on. And it's like, look, I'm, I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm really trying. We haven't discussed the, uh, one of the biggest things in this relationship that I was experiencing. I'm very big on communication. Um, if that's not obvious by now, that I make fun of myself for saying um and uh a lot, and that I have an entire podcast where I sit here and I talk about different aspects of government, but I'm throwing in a little sprinkling of behind the scenes of how I got here. Um, 
if you haven't figured out that I like to talk a lot, communication is one of the things I feel like I'm really good at. I would talk to her about my feelings all the time. And I remember on the way back from the Atlanta trip, I was before the doctor or after the doctor. It doesn't really matter when the doctor was involved. It was definitely sometime during our relationship. It was one of a few times that I had a conversation with her about how I was feeling in our relationship. And how I was feeling in our relationship more often than not when I had these conversations with her was that I needed to leave. I um, could not understand why I was constantly feeling like something was wrong. And whenever I would talk to her about it, I would ask her to help me, you know, navigate these feelings. And then she would just basically tell me that, you know, all they're just feelings that you get when you get into a relationship and like they pass. My feelings of not wanting to be with her, not wanting to continue the relationship, wanting to see other people, wanting to break up, those feelings would pass. And I was just, that, that, that wasn't how I was really feeling. She would just ignore it. I'm trying to have a conversation with her to tell her I'm not feeling like my needs are getting met. And I'm not, I don't feel like things are adequate in the relationship, let alone great. They're just, I, there's constantly something missing. Uh, It's like you're having a conversation with somebody, but you don't ever really feel like they're listening to you. And there would be times where I would listen to her in the way that she spoke to me. And it wasn't like condescending and demeaning, but like she had bigger plans for our life than I did. Like I remember one time I had, um, because we were still, I was under 30 when we met. So this was probably pretty early on in our relationship. And I had said something to the effect of, oh, I think I'm going to go to the recruiter's office. And I remember her getting really, really excited at the thought of me enlisting in whatever service it was I was thinking about at the time. It was probably the Navy because I had really bad credit. And the Air Force doesn't want you if you have bad credit. More on that later. But I remember her getting really, really excited. And it dawned on me, like, you know, now almost 11 years later, that the reason she got really, really excited is because she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Here's this this woman that I met on the internet who has her um, master's degree in psychology and counseling, who is working at a clinical hospital um, dealing with psychiatric patients, who has worked, you know, worked her ass off to do all of these cool things that to me, I mean, I'm a psychology student still. I've not finished my degree. I'm pretty close. I'm like two and a half years in um, and have been for more than 10 years. Um, But here's me just being enamored with the fact that she, you know, here she is like processing people who are legitimately psychologically crazy 
on a daily basis. And then there's me who's working in retail and, you know, like doesn't have the opportunity to make all this money. And here's Michelle. Oh, but what I wouldn't give to be a stay at home mom. And I'm over here like, uh, okay, things aren't, things aren't like making any sense. Like, why would you put yourself through school and like do all that work? If you just wanted to be a stay at home mom, like, I don't like, you know what I mean? Like none of that really makes any sense to me. Like I would not, go to um, air traffic controller school if I wanted to be a pilot. Um, okay, that's probably, a, that's probably a bad metaphor. I wouldn't, uh, here's a better one. I wouldn't go to culinary school if I wanted to be a pilot. Like if my, my intended job in life, what I really wanted to do more than anything was to, you know, be a chef, being a pilot probably wouldn't help me get to being a chef very fast. I would probably be better off waiting tables at a restaurant because at least I'd be in the restaurant industry. So I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, you want to be a stay at home mom? Well, like, you already have a kid. So, like, that's good. But you literally went through like six years of school at least. And you're telling me that you want to be a stay at home mom? Something's not quite adding up. Not that I wasn't going to enlist. I was, but unfortunately, by this point in the story, I already was past the weight limit and, you know, credit wasn't looking that great. So they were going to reject me out of hand based on my appearance, which was a thing at the time and probably still is. So we get to the fun part of the story. So I finally get to a place in my relationship with her where she's upset because I am spending too much time outside the apartment while she refuses to commit anything to me in regards to a relationship. Like Mike's called me dad maybe twice, which isn't on her, but uh, there was an incident where I... Uh, I told him not to pick up garbage. Um, Mike had this really weird habit of, it's a really weird habit and I'm just trying to think of the best way to refer to it. He would, he had a little box in his room and it was full of his treasures. And these could be random things he picked up um, throughout his like experiences in the world. And they most likely were like little, I don't know. I, I never really looked in it for more than a few seconds, but it had like lots of sparkling glittery thing, glittery things that were covered in glitter. I apparently cannot say the word that I'm trying to say, and it probably doesn't exist, so that's fine. But he had lots of shiny and sparkly things. It was kind of like Tomatoa the Crab from Moana. He liked things when they were shiny. Um, but Mike would leave these things in a box and one time he came home from school and he was holding let's just go with it was something that was designed to be temporary it might have been a rhinestone that stuck on someone's nail it could have been a hair tie that just had sparkles on it it, it could have been whatever it was I definitely remember it as being something that 
had the person realized that it fell out, they would have just been like, oh, I'll just get another one. I mean, it could have easily been a barrette, you know, or a, or a bobby pin or something that just had like glitter on it. But I remember him bringing it home and I remember saying, hey, Mike, that's trash. Like, you shouldn't be keeping that. That's trash. You know, that came out of someone's hair. Throw that out. And I remember him going to sit in his room and not thinking much else of it because, again, like, it was trash. And then I remember Michelle going in to check on him. And then I remember him coming out, and this is later in the relationship, so he's probably in this story, like, seven or eight at this point. And he comes and he, like, grabs me by the hand and he sits me on the couch, like a child, first of all. And he's like, come on, I want to say, I want to talk to you. And he says that what I said really hurt his feelings. And then I asked him what I said about what really hurt your feelings. And he said, what you said about the, the shiny thing that I brought home really hurt my feelings. And I said, how did that hurt your feelings? And he said, well, those are my treasures. And mom says it's okay that I have treasures. And I said, that's great. Um, that doesn't change the fact that it's actual trash. It was on the floor. It was on the ground. And it really shouldn't be in your little treasure box. Like, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying not to say that I, I felt like the kid was a little creepy. And I was trying to help him not be creepy. Because I feel like this is the kind of thing that would get you made fun of in school. He didn't deserve to be made fun of in school. He's a little eccentric, but like, who does that? Who collects things like that? Like, you see something shiny on the ground, and it turns out to be a barrette. Do you pick it up and bring it home and put it in a little box to keep it forever and ever? Like, I don't think that's how any of this works. So, we finally... Um, get done with that conversation and i i have to ask michelle i'm like where did that come from and she's like he he was very upset and you know i talked to him in the bedroom and i told him that, that was the best way to handle it and i was like that was the best way to handle it like he's a child i'm an adult who is he speaking to not that he doesn't deserve to like you know have his feelings validated and all that good stuff but like in this moment he's eight he's he's eight years old He's still learning how to form ideas and, and he's still learning how to like navigate the world, like make, make up stuff, um, make up stories about how other people are going to interact with him and how he's going to interact with other people. And like, he needs to know that this, that this, this kind of stuff's not okay. It's exhibiting one hoarding type behavior which is a hallmark of some bad things to come in the criminal field <laughs> if he's that young and he's collecting little things from little girls which it seemed like his collection was more from them than anything that is a bridge we don't even want to cross um but two, it's also helping him like realize that there's some like social decorum out there. There's things that it's okay to do and things that's not okay to do. I mean, 
my, I guess my, my point in that argument and that conversation was like, what if he had a friend at school and he brought that friend home and he like showed them that little treasure box? You know, think, think about if you had a friend you met at school and he was a really cool guy and like you guys played together at recess and everything was awesome. And then you went home and then like you went to his house for dinner one day to hang out and you know, like you're all super excited to go hang out with him. And he brings you into his room and he shows you his book collection and his shoes. And he's got like stuffed animals and everything's like really cool. He's got some cool sheets on his bed, like Spider-Man sheets. And then he just pulls out this wooden treasure box full of like little girls, barrettes and hair ties and little rhinestones that fell off of their skirts and stuff. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a 40 year old man and I'm struggling with that. I can't imagine like eight year old me being like, um, um, that's that. Uh, that's you know i think my mom's calling me i think i'm gonna go home you know like that's the level i was at never mind the fact push all that aside he played with a doll and it was like a little raggedy ann type doll that had long yarn hair and he liked the fact that the doll had long yarn hair but the reason i'm bringing that up isn't because i cared that he was playing with the doll I really could care less. He wants to play with Barbie. He wants to play with G.I. Joe. He's playing. And when he's playing, for the most part, he's in his own little world. And that was the best part. You saw him playing with that doll. He was tuned out. That didn't mean you couldn't get his attention. That just meant he wasn't going to ask you for anything until he was hungry or thirsty. And, you know, but he was playing. But he had had the doll out a few times. Playtime during recess. And... He had already been made fun of a few times for playing with a girl toy. Again, we're in Georgia. We're in the middle of nowhere, and it's 2012, 2010, 2012, 2013 at this point. Like, society hasn't progressed much in Georgia, probably even now. But, and I'm supposed to believe that it's okay for him to have a little treasure box with little girls you know, sparkly things in it and he's playing with a doll and he's worrying about getting made fun of because he said that to me quite a few times. He didn't want to bring the doll to school with him because he's already been made fun of the, the, the other people at school tease him for playing with a doll, but it's okay for him to collect these things. Like none of that made sense. And the way that she went about handling it with like having him sit me down and talk to me like I was, in the wrong in that situation again not that his feelings didn't need to be validated but like hey i don't understand why you're telling me it's trash like mom says it's okay for me to do that that could have been an easy conversation but it wasn't it was a like mom says this is okay so then that was like a, mm, something's not quite right here either and lucky for me i never found a secret stash of anything that she had from her exes but i'm now um like pretty much 99.9 percent .9 sure she has one somewhere we just never saw it because she never showed it to me which i'm glad she never showed it to me so we get to um we get out of these controlling thought behavior patterns um i am working at night she is working during the day. She's insisting that I should wake up and help get Mike on the bus. And I would get up and help her put Mike on the bus. And then I would go back inside and go back to bed. Because, again, I didn't need to be at work until 5 o'clock. And 
all of the housework I needed to do would have could be done in an hour and a half. So I would wake up some days at like two to be awake for him to come home. He would get home, get off the bus around three thirty, four o'clock. I'd give him a couple minutes to decompress. We would do homework. Michelle would come home and then I would be off to work. And for a little while I was off to work in my car. And then I, we had an incident. <laughs> um, I had purchased uh, some Chromebooks and these Chromebooks were amazing. Uh, hers actually had like 128 gigabyte solid state hard drive, if I remember right. And she insisted she needed that one for, you know, books and whatever. So fine, whatever. I got two Chromebooks for the equivalent of one Chromebook. I basically paid $225 and I got two separate Chromebooks. My first one was a Samsung. The one that I use now is an HP, but I like Chromebooks. They handle what I need to handle. I mean, again, I'm able to record. I have a USB powered microphone plugged into this right now. I have a USB-C charger plugged into it and I'm just chilling here. Like I don't need a full processor or gaming PC. I have my PlayStation for that. This is a nice lightweight computer. I can whip out of here with it in a moment's notice. And I have a full on keyboard and this one actually does the backflip flex thing where it turns into a tablet. So anyway, more on my obsession with Chromebooks later. But I um, remember when I, bought those for her that we were setting up a program at the times for budgeting. And I remember she had gone through and she was importing some things. And again, forgive me because this is an almost 10 year old memory now. I remember she was importing some things and shortest version of the story is I basically went to fix it and I looked at her and I said, and what did you do wrong? And I set her off. I mean, like I set her off. Like I'd never seen her set off before. What do you mean? What did I do wrong? Why are you accusing me of doing anything wrong? I told you the program didn't work. And I looked at her and I said, well, Michelle, like when I use the program, that doesn't happen. When I use the program, it doesn't crash and tell me the database isn't working. What did you do? Oh, how could you accuse me of doing that? Why would you accuse me of, of breaking the program? It wasn't my fault. This budgeting program is just no good. It doesn't work. What was the last thing you did? Because I need to figure out where you were so that I can undo what you did. There's a backup of it somewhere. I just need to find it. No, you don't know what happened. You have no idea what, what went wrong or how we got here. There's no way. Yeah. And at the time, she wasn't on her Chromebook. She was on her she had a laptop. So I was on her laptop trying to fix it, trying to fix it. I couldn't fix it. She came out. She started it on me again. Why would you accuse me of doing this? Why would you accuse me of this? I finally, we got to a place where I, I have learned in, in, in this short amount of life that I have that when I get so upset that I need to take a step back, that that was my chance to take a step back. So I said, hey, I'll be back. I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to cool off. I'll be right back. I probably didn't say it like that. I probably said, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. I'll be right back. And then I left. Um, we lived, the apartment complex that we lived in had a Circle K on the corner of where we were. And it was 
within walking distance and unironically in my professional and personal opinion this circle k happened to be the very first place i stopped when i made it to augusta before i moved in with my mom when we first moved to georgia um because i didn't know where i was and obviously it would become an important place later on in my life so it's hilarious so i walked around the corner to the circle k and i got some candy for myself and some candy for mike and i think i got something for her as well for michelle and i um walked back i mean i let's say i was gone 20 minutes might have been 30 minutes tops because it wasn't i mean genuinely this place if you imagine how far you walk out to your car just like double the amount of like walk out to your car and walk back that was one way to this to the circle k like it really was not that far away at all so i you know took my sweet time i walked through the property i took a deep breath i composed myself and when i came back i gave michael the candy and he said he'd have it later so i put it aside and when i saw michelle she was just as angry as she was before i left like it probably even more angry than when i left and, you know, I'll pause here and I'll be a little subjective. I mean, maybe she felt like she needed to leave, but I beat her to it. And she didn't want to leave Michael alone. Or maybe she just spent that entire time being angry and got angrier by the time I got back. Whatever it was, she was, like I said, she was at least twice as angry as she was before I left. And we got into an explosive fight. Like there was no screaming. There was no like actual screaming because Michael was there and we weren't trying to like disturb him. But she was as close to screaming in my face as she could have possibly been in that moment. And it was right then that I realized that I needed to leave. So, um, interesting side note. I should probably insert in here before I get to the the downfall of my relationship because this was the that was the last straw um uh less than a year prior to this i had actually tried to leave starbucks and i had made an escape plan to leave her i um had rented an apartment and i found another i found a full-time job that paid you know 15 dollars an hour and I um, saved up my money and I moved into an apartment all on my own. It was great. It was great, except I felt obligated to give her a key to my place. And she helped me move in. And she still insisted on being a part of my life. Even though I moved out. And I couldn't keep her out. Not of my apartment, because she had a key. But I couldn't keep her out of my head or out of the things that I was trying to do 
and I went a few days without talking to her while I was moved out, but it just never, it just never really worked. And um, I lived in that apartment by myself for three months, and it was the most lonely, however, the most free I had ever been because I never had an apartment to myself. I never had a place that was just me until that very moment. Even if she had a key to the place, I own that place. And even when the AC broke on a Friday night and they couldn't fix it until the Monday after, and it was hot and I still had the ceiling fans on and I had no lights on and I had no cable and I had no internet and I had a TV with a DVD player and I put a copy of The Big Lebowski in it, and I watched The Big Lebowski every night for like four months. <laughs> it wasn't four months, it was like three months. But even then, I went to Aldi's and I ate hot dogs and I bought myself lunch to bring to work and I would bring like peanut butter crackers or occasionally eat out of the vending machine. Those three months were magical. And I even sort of started seeing somebody. It just didn't really work out. But that is literally another story for another podcast. Um, But Michelle was still there. And I started working at this job on around my birthday, which was around April 22nd. And a good sign of what was coming is that when I left work on my birthday, I had two flat tires. And I should have known that that was a sign of what was coming. It was one, like, I don't work my birthday anymore. That was the last birthday I worked. I will take my birthday off every year. The day of my birthday will be a day off for me every year. I'm sorry. If I don't get flexible holidays to be able to put in like my own one day off a year, that's all I ask for is that one day. You want me to work on Christmas, New Year's, July 4th, Halloween, whatever you want, I'll be fine. I would prefer not to work on my wife's birthday, my anniversary, and eventually my child's birthday. It would be nice if I could have those days off. But again, my birthday is non-negotiable. Holidays, American holidays, I'm cool with. But... I could not shake her. And so when I came back, we went to therapy. And the marriage counselor that we went to see, we weren't married at the time, but the therapist that we went to see, she, Michelle was in there with an agenda she was trying to have a therapist navigate our conversations rather than navigating them herself. Now, again, we could sit here and discuss whether or not that's because she knows how to have a conversation with somebody. You could discuss whether or not she knows what she's doing in a relationship that could have turned into a marriage. Um, there's, there's a lot of things we could discuss the reasons why she wanted to go to therapy, but it was hilarious to me because the therapist was actually a regular at the coffee shop. Um, he used to order a, a an Americano most of the time, but sometimes just a tall black cup of coffee, sometimes cream, 
but the point was is that the therapy session was useless in my opinion and i got very agitated when we came back because it felt like she was using the therapy session as a way to not have to talk to me because whenever i wanted to talk to her she would just shut me down she would basically just let me talk until i stopped talking and she wouldn't engage me she wouldn't have any conversation she just basically just tuned me out when i was talking to her whether i was being calm or whether i was being agitated or what it didn't none of it mattered she would just shut me out and what i had to say did not matter how I felt about our relationship did not matter. As long as she was still in a relationship with me, it didn't matter. And I used to boggle my mind um, because earlier on in our relationship, we met her friends whose real life names are Jamie and Kelly. And I know there's a virtually no chance that they'd listen to this. So I'm using their names. They really were Jamie and Kelly in real life. Um, fantastic people uh, actually got to go to their wedding. But Jamie and Kelly used to host game nights. And the people that would come to these game nights were people that Michelle went to school with. So Jamie and Kelly were two of them. And they just happened to be in school there at the same time. And they were renting an apartment. And they were right around the corner. I felt like I was a, a possession. I felt like if... Jamie or Kelly had said something and I began to respond that I was having an actual conversation with them, that I was being hushed up by Michelle, that my whole point in being there was just to drink a beer or two and watch them play cards and just kind of hang on her and make it look like I was, you know, her boyfriend, her, her, her arm candy. I never really felt like there was a, a way for me to connect with these people. And there were other people that would come in and out that I, people that I remember now, but I couldn't remember their last names. But again, we all went to Jamie and Kelly's wedding and it was interesting because she didn't talk about them outside of those little meetups. She didn't really talk to them outside of those little meetups. Like she never talked to me about them. So I just really get confused because like, how are you friends with people that you don't really talk to? And they just invite you out to dinner and you just go like I even some old high school friends, I'll occasionally be like, Hey, what's up? You know, <laughs> like I will check in on people I haven't talked to in years. Sometimes the FaceTime call or, you know, a Google meetup or something like that. During, hell, during lockdown, I was talking to people I went to high school with that I hadn't talked to face-to-face -face in almost 20 years when we were all at home for the uh, COVID, beginning of the COVID pandemic. Like, I was making FaceTime calls and, and having Google meetups with all kinds of people. But Michelle couldn't even manage to have a conversation with the people that she wanted to impress so badly. And it was always very confusing to me because I never really understood how you could have a relationship with somebody like that. And 
call them your friend. It just, there were a lot of things that we talked about in our relationship that never really made a whole lot of sense to me. And I always got the feeling that I was just with somebody. I wasn't with someone I wanted to be with, that I was just with somebody. And that she was incredibly happy to be with somebody too. It didn't matter that we weren't good fit for each other or that sometimes I would aggravate the shit out of her. Or she would aggravate the, the shit out of me. It's more important that she was with somebody. And if we cut back to that point where I told you we were fighting over how I accused her of breaking her laptop, I went into her laptop and I found out that she had been talking to other people before I moved back in, which would have been fine, except she let me move back in. So what was the end game? Like, why was she talking to other people? And like, and she was continuing to talk to other people. Like she was still emailing this guy, this guy who oddly enough, his name was Matt as well. She was still emailing this guy up to like even the week or two before we had this fight. And then I realized what kind of relationship I was in. I was in an abusive relationship. It wasn't a mentally abusive relationship. It was a psychologically abusive relationship. My ex-girlfriend was psychologically abusing me to a place to where I questioned my own self-worth. I was being gaslighted constantly. And I wasn't allowed to live my own life. Even when I was moving out, I wasn't allowed to move out and move on unless she wanted me to. Remember when I said I couldn't shake her? I couldn't shake her because she would constantly text me and call me and check in on me. Like when we first started dating, like she wasn't done with me. And so no matter what I was done with, she was not done with me. And so I made a plan before I moved back in with her that I was going to do my best to land this plane without the landing gear and not make it explode too much to get any on mic because he didn't deserve to deal with this but that I needed to end this relationship. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I needed to throw everything at it one last time so that she could see that we had exhausted all of our options. And I broke my lease, and they were very gracious about that because at that time it was still a small management company. I still remember the lady saying I could just pay $100 a month for a little while until they rented the apartment out, and that would be considered even on the lease. They wouldn't put me down as not paying everything off. 
And it didn't even take them, I think it was maybe three months, four months at that time. And she called me back and she told me that everything had been paid. It was, the account was settled in full. They would send me a letter in the mail and it was great. But I didn't even live there for 90 days. So I signed a year lease and I stayed for maybe three months. And I moved all of my stuff back, which wasn't much. And I, I quit the job at the call center that I got the $15 an hour job. I quit. I just walked out in the middle of a shift. And then I came back a couple of days later and I turned in my badge. Another one of those moments where I felt a weight lift off my shoulders. And I went back and asked for more hours at Starbucks coffee shop. And they helped me with that. And it was nice. And... Um, I went back to her. We had two cats and a dog together. And for a long time when I left, it really hurt because I realized I was never going to see those animals again. Like one of her cats is actually the reason why I like cats again. We have two cats. That's why I even like cats is because of her cat, Penelope. But even still, when I went to go leave, we, well, let's, let's get to the end of this because this, this is the end of this relationship. So when I went to leave, um, before we got to a place where she finally accepted that it was over, uh, we had several conversations and I spent some time on the couch. And when I spent some time on the couch, everything was great. It was lovely. I had a magical time. Um, living on her couch for a few months. Except that... She started seeing that guy that she was emailing. So she made a decision that um, the best way to handle the end of our relationship was to drag me through the fiery hot coals of hell. So I will pause here and not like actually pause, but I'll pause in the storytelling. I had made a friend when I started working at Starbucks. Her name was Lana. That's again, her actual name. And Lana was very supportive of helping me throughout this time. Um, there was a small period where I got really upset before I moved out. And I actually moved all of my stuff into my car. And then I moved it into Lana's apartment. And I slept on her couch for a little while just so that I could have some space um, before I got the job at the call center which I actually got the job at the call center while I was sleeping on Lana's couch. So I am forever grateful to her for allowing me to, to stay there, but it was very hard becoming a better person with Lana's help. I was able to, escape Michelle, but 
the reason I bring her up is because Lana was used a number of times in conversations between Michelle and I where she would be upset. And she was just upset because I had a friend, a female friend that I would spend time with. And it's a good time to remind you as you're listening along that the female friend that I would spend time with was Lana. And the reason that I would spend time with Lana was because I did not want to be with Michelle. And yeah, there were some emotions. There were some feelings there for Lana. I won't lie about that for a second. But at least when I talked to Lana about how I was feeling, she would explain to me that that was not a thing for her. And she would listen to me about it. And she would say, okay, we can keep being friends, but that's not a thing. Like, I'm not interested in you. And then I was like, okay, I get it, you know. But that wasn't why I was hanging out with Lana. I was hanging out with Lana because I literally had no one else to hang out with. And at that time, Lana really needed someone to hang out with. She was going through quite the predicament of her own. But I was trying to have that conversation with Michelle. And no matter how many times I tried to have that conversation with Michelle, she would never let me have that conversation. So when Lana would come over and I was cooking, I would try to cook things that she could eat if she would come over to the apartment where I was living with Michelle and Mike. And she was always polite and, you know, happy to be there. She's never rude. I think I cooked for them twice. Because I did try to make dinner a lot. Try to get Mike to eat things more than just loaves of bread. But they, the, the, the trouble with the relationship was I was the one that was made to question whether or not I was doing the right thing. Like, because I, I fell for this woman... I couldn't have possibly been psychologically abused by her. And the part that pissed me off the most was that I had family telling me that it was my problem to fix. When there's another person in our family who needed to get out of a relationship and they dropped everything to fucking help her. But you know what? Not bitter, right? I'm better now. Because I'm not there anymore. I'm not immersed in it. I'm not around it all the time. I'm here with my wife. And our newborn child's coming soon. Six years of marriage. Somewhere I want to be with people I want to be around, which includes her and me right now and eventually our child. And I only let people in that I want. And I don't go places because I have some obligation to them or some crazy concept like, oh, they're family. Family looks out for you. Family wants to take care of you. Family doesn't make up bullshit reasons why they can't fucking help you. 
Family doesn't threaten to call the cops on you because they don't agree with the decisions you're making. Right? That's not a family thing to do. So when I left Michelle, it took me a few months to process what I was going to do next because of the incident I referred to a few times during this podcast. I didn't want to go back to my mom's place, but I didn't know what else to do. So I started trying to figure out what my options were. And at that point, I had uh, transferred stores. So I was working in another store that was closer to where I was living at the time. And I had met my future wife at this point in the story. She had actually, she and I had started talking after I moved back in with Michelle. She had moved to Georgia at that point, and we started talking, but we were just talking at that point. Like, yeah, she's cute, and obviously I married her, but at that point in the story, I was going through some shit of my own. And and to be fair, Mel was going through some shit of her own, too, which she talks about on her podcasts. I'll let her tell her side of the story, but I met her at a time when we were both going through some crazy shit, and we were both there for each other right when we both needed somebody. But I have a friend who helped me navigate through this. And her name is Kara. And Kara helped keep me sane throughout the end of my relationship with Michelle. And then I found my cat. My little Gaston. I found him in the drive-thru at the Starbucks I was working at. He was underneath a Nissan... Type R, I think. It was a really nice Nissan sports car. I think it was a Type R, but it's kind of hard to tell because I just know it was a Nissan. It was a sports car. And they don't make too many sports cars, so it should have been easy to remember. But anyway, he was in a ditch underneath the car. There was a little pothole. And I pulled him out. And I wrapped him up in a apron, and I took him over. To... But that was after I left her. Before I left her, she had this Matt guy coming in. All the time. I mean, he he was coming in like once a week for a while. I don't know what they were up to because I honestly didn't care. She kicked me out. I wasn't allowed to sleep in a bedroom anymore. But you remember that point when I made earlier, like a while ago, it was probably over an hour ago at this point, where I said that I had the phone in my name? So when she loaned me money for the car, there was no like agreement. It was like an unspoken, what well, was a spoken amount. I would pay her back. Well, I knew she was going to pull some strings and play some games with me. So I made sure early on in the relationship that I was going to have one thing, just one thing, that when I left and it was over, over, that I was going to burn the bridge to the ground because I knew that that was it, that Midway through the relationship, when I put the phone bill in my name, I didn't ever think I was going to need to use the, oh, well, I have your phone, ha, ha, ha. But I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was done. It was over. So when I officially left, I went and sat at my Starbucks, which was still the one I initially started at. And um, I started to get my affairs in order because, again, I was going to work back full time and and I was going to start living closer and I was going to start picking up more hours. So I want to dot my eyes across my T's and I made sure my bank account and everything was ready. 
and uh, I sent her a few texts and I said, hey, Michelle, do you want your phone number? I had already talked to Sprint at the time and Sprint told me this is what you need to do if she wants her phone number, you know, X, Y, and Z. Here's the directions. So I texted her and I said, hey, Michelle, do you want your phone number? And she said, no. And I said, are you sure? Because like, I want you to have your phone number back if you want it. And she said, well, I only want it if, and then basically her conditions were if I continue paying the phone bill. And I was like, well, here's the thing. I'm not going to continue paying your phone bill. Like, that's not a thing. I don't want to talk to you. I don't feel like we need to talk. This is probably a day or two after I moved out. And I'm like, I don't feel like we need to ever talk again. I don't want you to be on my phone bill, but I want to give you an opportunity to have your phone number back because, you know, what is your phone number? I ported it in from, I think it was her dad's line. And uh, so she texted me back. No, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to have Sprint. I was like, okay, cool. So here's what's up. You have about 45 minutes before your phone's going to stop working. And when your phone stops working, I won't ever have your number again. Delete me from your phone. Don't ever talk to me again. Have a good life. And that was it. When I left, I left her the key to her apartment attached to a key ring that we got when we went to Atlanta on a separate trip. We went to Legoland. Well, the Lego store, I guess it was, but they had like a little Lego adventure thing where they had it set up anyway. It was a Donatello keychain. Donatello the turtle from Ninja Turtles. And I left the keychain behind. And then my cousin came with my mom and they brought a pickup truck and they helped me move the little bit of furniture I had over there. I left all my ornaments behind. All my Christmas ornaments that I collected over the last, like, you know, five years before that were all left behind. I probably left some other stuff back there too. I couldn't honestly begin to remember and I'm sure she's thrown it out by now, but... I left my TV, I left my PlayStation 3, I left her Chromebook even though she had another laptop. I left a little piece of myself in that apartment. And I moved back in with my mom, only this time not to sleep on the couch, I had my own room with a twin size bed. And I had a little extra spending money for the first time in a long time. And I went to GameStop and I bought another PlayStation 3. And I signed in and I played video games when I wasn't at work. And I took care of Gaston. And I welcomed Mel into my life. And I'm here now to tell you the story in um, probably what will end up going down as the longest podcast I not will ever do, but have done so far. I was a victim of an emotionally abusive person. I try really hard not to play the victim card. She would not let me leave her until it was her decision for me to leave. And then she needed to make sure that she had taken everything from me that she could. And she kept it in her apartment. I felt bad 
moving out as I waited probably about a year um, as I still had Michael's uh, account. I still have Michael's account from PlayStation that I can sign in and out of. But I had made sure that he wasn't actively playing on it for a while. Like he hadn't signed in in weeks. And then I changed the password on it so that it wouldn't work because they actually had two uh, PlayStation 3s when I left. They had mine and then they had one that we had purchased together so that Michael could play in the living room. And I actually remember tearing up a little when I had to change his password. I didn't have to change his password, but I changed my password because I didn't even get a chance to remove my profile from it. The PlayStation. I deregistered it. I took care of myself. Because after being with Michelle for four years, she had me questioning every single thing I thought I knew about who I was and what I wanted out of life. And when I was in the hardest part of my relationship, when I was trying to leave and I was trying to ask for help, I'm a guy and why would I need help? You know, I'm just a fuck up. I don't even have a place of my own. I don't even have a stable job. Like, why would I need help? What could I possibly need help with? I moved out and I moved on. But I can't pretend like those four years never happened. And Mel got there right as they were ending. So she knows. We talk about it still, like I'm talking about it in this podcast. I, I skip over a lot of stuff. There were a lot of things that happened. Nothing was ever physical. She never like outright punched me in my fucking head or anything like that. But it was all psychological. And it was all done in, I know I try to be subjective and I think, well, you know, when we first moved in together, why didn't she just have him change schools? Like, that was the whole point of us moving in together was to try to get away from her parents. She didn't, she wasn't happy being there. She used to tell me that all the time. And I realized that was even a tool. That was something she was doing. So it was like for every step that we took towards being together, she was constantly like holding back on me. And I get that. I talked to her about leaving a lot, but like she never really committed. She never really wanted to be alone. She never really wanted to be away from her parents. She only wanted to do what she wanted to do. And that's, you know, you can only make people do what they want to do. You can't, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't drown it. I mean, you can try, it's a horse. But that's, the whole point of this is emotional abuse is just as valid as physical abuse. 
in a relationship. And if you or someone you love is currently struggling with this, there are plenty of resources out there. And if no one will listen to you, find someone who will. Keep talking to people until you find someone who will listen to you. I'm incredibly lucky that I had Kara and Lana and Mel in my life at that time, because even though Mel was going through some stuff, she knew just listening was enough. And Kara knew enough to keep me, you know, don't overreact, just play subtle and smooth and like figure out your next move, but don't tell her what you're doing. You need to get out of this and you need to keep your head down and you got to keep going. There was a point in all of this when I was walking to work. I used to walk over an overpass to a major highway, I-20. And there was a point in all of this when I thought that I could have just jumped off. And I wouldn't have to worry about anything anymore. And I didn't. I stayed because I knew my story wasn't over yet. I stayed because I didn't want to give her a story to tell her friends about how her ex killed himself. I stayed because I wanted to show my mom and my sister that there's more to life than what they were going through at the time and in some cases probably still going through. I stayed because I was going to meet my future wife. Had already met my future wife. I was going to marry her. And we were going to have kids. Well, a kid. I stayed because I was going to get a cat. Not too long after I left her. That would lead to one more cat. I didn't jump because there's more. We're in control of our own destinies, but that period of my life was not my time to go. And when my time comes, it's my time, you know, I won't fight. But I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that my time doesn't come at my own hand. And if it's my time to go, it's because my, it, it was it. That was it. I'm old enough. I have done the thing that I was supposed to do, whatever that is. And that's it. But I'm not going to go out because I had a failed relationship <coughs> with a woman who wasn't quite sure what she was doing herself, but knew she just needed someone. So if you need to talk to somebody, there are a variety of resources out there to help you, um, find 
help when you need it. And uh, one of the easiest places to go is uh, National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Or um, if you're here in Orlando or in Florida in general, um, there is a Florida Domestic Violence Hotline. In Florida, it's uh, 1-800-500-1119. And if you are anywhere other than Florida listening to this, um, there is a number that you can also call if you're not in immediate danger. Of course, if you're in immediate danger, please dial 911. All the talk about the police and fire and ambulance and, you know, professional and personal opinions aside, 911 is designed to get you immediate help. But if you are somewhat safe and you can get away from your abuser or your partner, it's important for you to remember you haven't done anything and you're not doing anything to cause the abuse. It's solely up to the abuser to abuse. It may seem like it's impossible for you to escape your abuser or change your circumstances or even find the help that you need, but it is possible. You know your abuser best. So think carefully through your situation and circumstances and do what is the best for you. You can always reach somebody 24-7 anonymously and confidentially by calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. It's 1-800-799 and the word SAFE, 7233. Or if you need uh, TTY assistance, which if you figured out how to get a transcript of this, let me know, 1-800-787-3224. But that's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and any calls made are anonymous and confidential. No one's going to know. But please remember, you aren't the reason why your abuser is abusing you. And there's more to your story. And you can leave at any point, but you know your abuser better than anyone else. So you have to choose what's best for you. It took me three attempts to get away from her. I just hope other people in a similar situation are so lucky. I'm going to wrap up my longest episode to date by thanking you for listening along. I know I've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff this week, and um, it's a lot of personal stuff this week. So I will try to switch back to my light and happy-go-lucky self in my next podcast, you know, where we talk about great issues like children dying from gun violence or financial security, you know light and happy topics, right? As always, I really appreciate you listening. Thank you. Um, my, <laughs> uh, my plays have gotten me up to 25 cents now, so trust me, 
I haven't made 25 cents, but I know there's 25 cents sitting there, and that's huge for me. I really never thought that I was going to make a podcast that would get any listens, let alone I have on average five or six people listening. So if you're one of them, including you, Mel, I love you, including you, Mom, I love you too. I know you're two of the five or so people that listen every week. And just thank you. Again, a munch. Because it really does mean a lot to know that anyone listens. And that I have as many listens as I do. Um, I'll be back next week with another podcast. Trying to put them out on Wednesdays or Thursdays. So, and yeah. I'm still here. I am is a full sentence. You can still be here too. We'll see you again next week. Thanks. Little bonus. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I did change the name of my ex and her son in the podcast. Um, I don't want there to be any kind of animosity in case it does get stumbled on and it happened a while ago but it did happen and I'm only trying to protect her because she's also moved on I know and her son is much older now so there were a lot of reasons why I couldn't stay but these are some of them And it's not meant to be an exhaustive compilation of what happened in our relationship. But there was a lot that happened that I didn't cover. Like about how I bought her a promise ring and she posted it on the internet like it was an engagement ring. It was never meant to be an engagement ring, but she really wanted everyone to think it was an engagement ring. Yeah, there was a lot that happened. And I am just thankful that I'm still here, so... Please don't hesitate. Again, like I said towards the end of my podcast, if you or someone you know is in a domestic violence situation, please don't hesitate to reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. 1-800-799-SAFE. And continue to stay safe yourself out there. Thank you again, really, for listening. And I promise I will start covering some topics with a little more lightheartedness in the future. I just really felt like it was important to get this off my chest. And Mel, thank you for inspiring me to record something a little more personal. I love you.